Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to episode 43 of Empty Betters. I'm your host, Harrison Scholes. I'm going to toss it over here to my co-host across the screen. We are absolutely buzzing today with the brand new microphones, and thanks to this guy for helping us set it all up, Nick Manella. What's going on, boys? How are we doing today? Lovely Labor Day. We're recording this a little bit earlier than usual, so we don't have to stay up to the wee hours of the evening, which I love. It is sunny. It is gorgeous. Uh, it has been, I think, the perfect summer weather the last couple of days here on the East Coast. I don't know about Mac, but we had it. It was like 80. It wasn't like obnoxiously humid as balls like it usually is. Nice breeze, perfect pool weather, um, you know, great beer drinking weather. Um, I don't know if bad beer drinking weather exists, but um, yeah, I'm doing well. I had a good Labor Day. What about you guys? Uh, you know, I'm doing good. Like you said, I I think the weather here in uh, Baltimore has been pretty good as of late. I checked the weather on Saturday because I walked outside at like 10 a.m. to go get a coffee. And I was like, my God, there's like no humidity in the air. This is crazy. Look at the weather app and it says, yep, still at 55%. I was like, okay, so we're just really used to swamp weather out here, I think is the big problem. But no, it's been nice. It's been a good weekend. Uh, good weekend for some conference finals binging. And now I'm going to toss it off to our West Coaster, Mac Vogel. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know what you guys are talking about. We got a heat wave over here. Um, Oof. Let's see. Uh, today's Monday. Saturday, it was. It got up to 108. Jesus. And uh, yesterday, it got up to 115 at one point. Um, that's 115 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, I'm not lying. And uh, luckily, we bought a blow-up pool yesterday. Um, so we had we we had some fun with that on our back patio, um, but uh, yeah, I'll probably hop in there after we're done here as well. But um, I think we're on the back end of it at least. Today is a a cool high of ninety seven degrees. So that's good. Wait, I thought <laughs> I saw that there was some problem getting the pool inflated. Oh man, yes, there was a lot of problem getting the pool inflated. So we <laughs> we bought it off like Facebook Marketplace, and the guy that uh, that gave us the pool, he had never opened it before. But the um, the pump that came with it was like absolute trash. Like it it just didn't work. It was like one of those like air mattress like electric things, but just like barely it was like humming a little bit when you turn it on but like no air was coming out so we spent probably 45 minutes taking shifts trying to use a bike pump to pump up the entire pool until finally i was like wait a minute i live with three girls somebody has a blow dryer and so uh yeah one of my roommates brought out the hair dryer and within like three minutes that thing was fully inflated so nice I didn't think you guys got desert weather in, in L.A., but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, big time. Not all the time, but, but here and there we definitely get these rough heat waves. It usually lasts a couple days or something, but um, huh. it'll happen. Yeah. Interesting. Um, well, enough of our blow-up pool segment, and we're going to get going on to the conference finals. But first, I am going to toss it off to Nick to kind of guide us through the news that has happened since we last spoke last week. So I think like what, two episodes ago, we mentioned that the Washington Capitals had fired Todd Reardon and he would, I guess he doesn't have to stress out about finding a job because the Pittsburgh Penguins just hired him back um, as an assistant coach. So, you know, I guess he sort of, you know, left Pittsburgh being an assistant, went to the Caps as a head coach, didn't work out and then just right back, you know, whatever works, right? Predictable big fan of this move 
I can I can I <laughs> Nick is proceeding to drink as I say that. Um, I'm I'm a Reardon guy. I like him. I'm glad he's back. I definitely enjoy that he went to the Caps and then came back here. Um, so for those of you who are unaware, before Reardon was in Washington, he actually was an assistant coach in Pittsburgh from 2010 to 2014. And prior to his assistant coach job in Pittsburgh, he was on the coaching staff in Wilkes-Barre for three years. So. He's been around the Pens since you know the core really came into its own, um, basically since 2007. So, for those of you who are just absolutely waiting in your seat for exciting statistics about how good the Penguins were when Todd Reardon was an assistant, this segment's for you. Nick, you can stay muted. Um, so, under Todd Reardon's guidance in his first assistant coaching stint in Pittsburgh, which again was from 2010 to 2014. Chris Letang in 2013 received more Norris Trophy candidate votes than any other year in his entire career. Nick just left. Uh, Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin teamed up to create one of the best power plays in his tenure. So from 2010 to 2014, the two best power plays were the Washington Capitals, good job, at 20.7%, and then the San Jose Sharks at 20.5%. Pittsburgh was third in that four-year period with a 20.3% power play percentage in those four seasons. We have really struggled in that area, especially this year as it showed. So I'm excited. He's going to be working with the defensemen and guiding the power play. I think this is a great move by Pitt. Um, I, I'm just ecstatic. I really am. And I think it's awesome that he came from the Caps because now we get insider intel. So fuck both of you guys. that's all i have to say about that Um, no i mean i feel like we all kind of saw this coming i don't think we expected reardon to go and get another head coaching job right off the hop so i think the fact that he got you know i don't hate the guy i'm happy he got a job i'm wondering if certain penguins fans sounds like you hate him positive attitude over this move is because of not his impact when he was with the penguins but maybe his impact when he was with the caps so maybe you're um, right I don't maybe know. you just like watching us nosedive but i don't know i mean i think this is a good move for him he obviously likes that organization and they obviously like him so um I, you know it is what it is now just go hire the right coach wow okay powerful words yeah mac Mo- any thoughts um, honestly, I have mixed feelings about Reardon. I think at this point, every Caps fan just is kind of feeling sour about it. Um, I, I think, you know, there's a certain part of me that's like, great, is he going to go to the pens and just absolutely like be an informant and like tell them everything that he learned while he was the head coach. So there's a little bit of worry there, but I mean, I don't think that's something you can really do much about. And so... Um, you know, whenever we do hire a new coach for the Caps, there's obviously going to be some changes in the systems. And, um, you know, what what Reardon knows about the Caps at the end of the day isn't really anything um, that, that the Penguins probably don't know already. It's not like he's going to be able to tell them the systems we're using because we're going to have different systems with a new coach. So um, if that helps you sleep I- at night. Go for it. <laughs> He's just going to walk into the like coaches' meeting and be like, hey, guys, here's how I made this team with a great power play have a horrible one, and they can't enter the zone at all. 
Mm. Yeah, he, he's going to be like, so yeah, they're they're kind of ass. They like aren't a good team. <laughs> and they're going to be like, huh, okay, interesting. <laughs> he's like, honestly, Barry kind of won that. I just kind of got an extra two years of money out of it. Right. So, yep, that's that's kind of my thoughts and Mac and Nick's thoughts. It seems like they're a little more mixed. I'm a little more excited. Part of me might be a little more excited because this is kind of a fuck you move to the Capitals, which I'm always a big fan for, so... Um, yeah, that's that. Uh, I'm going to go buy a Hagelin jersey just for that. Okay. Um, <laughs> I have no comeback. Moving on down the list, the Florida Panthers have hired Bill Zito as the team's new general manager. Uh, he was the former Blue Jackets senior vice president of hockey operations, and he was with that organization for seven years. I think we all saw them trending up in that time. So I think this is a great move for Florida. And I feel like he's kind of the guy who will work with Q, where Q's going to be like, look, here's what I need to make this team, you know, playoff worthy, or, you know, at least be able to get out of potentially a first round or maybe just make the playoffs in general. But uh, I really like this move. What do you guys think about it? Yeah, I I think it's a good move. Um, In those seven seasons that he was in Columbus, they made the playoffs in five of the last seven. And they are also one of three teams who have made the playoffs the last four years in a row. So they've definitely done something right. Uh, They've lost a lot of key pieces and a lot of different pieces over that time span, and they've been able to weather it and stay consistent. So, yeah, I think this is going to be a good move for Florida. Uh, They definitely have a lot more star power than Columbus does, so I feel like this kind of works in uh, Zito's favor. I mean, put it this way, I really can't see this making things much worse in Florida. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think it's a good move. But, I mean, you said he was there for the last seven years. I mean, go back seven years ago, Columbus was not a playoff hockey team. No. Um, what even was seven years ago? It's 2020, right? 2013? Yeah. yeah. I mean, no, you're, you're right. I don't even think they had some of their core pieces that they have now. They didn't have Seth Jones. I don't think Dubinsky was there yet. Um, uh, he might have been. But Has he been there that long already? Maybe. And he yeah. might have still been on the Rangers then. No Wawrenski. I don't even ask, don't even ask me who their goalie was cuz I have no clue. Chris Mason. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Or no, Steve Mason, right? Steve Mason, Chris Mason, I don't I know. always got the two mixed up. I think Same. it was Steve. It was Steve for sure. Okay. It's kind of yeah. like my Dave Quinn, Dan Quinn problem. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, moving on down the list again, Vegas Golden Knights forward Ryan Reeves, a.k.a. my best friend in the world, was suspended for one game for a check to the head on Vancouver's Tyler Mott. Uh, that's obviously sarcastic. I think it's no secret my thoughts on Ryan Reeves. Uh, he got 5-10 and done from the game, uh, and they ended up obviously giving him a one-game suspension that he served last night. What were your guys' thoughts on the hit? And what were your thoughts on the penalty and then the subsequent action taken by player safety? So I guess I'll go first. The hit was bad. It was, more importantly than anything else, completely unnecessary. There was no no intention of separating a player from the puck, as, like, you know, the old guys like to say, right? So um, it, it... he was taking a run to make a statement, and he ended up making the wrong statement. He basically clipped him in the head. When I was watching it live, Pierre was trying to paint the picture that if you look at it from from the the back angle, it doesn't look like his head's... Pre- and then you look... All you need is the one angle of it 
literally face on, seeing where Reeves' shoulder is. Like, there's you don't need three different views to kind of see what was going down there. Um, and yeah, he he got the bottom of his shoulder right on the guy's head, and you're not allowed to do that. And not only did he clip him in the head, he was going full steam and tried to pick up more steam to kill him. Right, so. He could have probably even caught a charging penalty should he actually have made clean contact. Um, was I surprised he got a suspension? No. Um, one game, a lot of people were saying he should have gotten more than one game because it was a really dangerous hit and, like I mentioned, an unnecessary hit. But in the playoffs, any suspension that you think is worth X, divide that in two or three, and that's usually what you're going to get because they don't want to have you know, teams getting... Losses for players that should have been playing. They want things to be equal, blah, blah, blah. We've been through this a bajillion times at this point in the league. So pretty much went according to how I thought it would go. And I think Vegas did miss him in game one. So um, we'll see how game two shakes out. I think that it definitely was a dirty hit. It was right to the jaw, it kind of looked like to me. like It, it really looked like it was uh, in that lower lower part of the uh, face. Um as soon as it happened, all I could think, and it, like as soon as they called the the five minute major on him, all I could think was Vegas game seven last year against San Jose. Uh, the only difference is last year they got called for a horseshit penalty that should not have been anything, um, and then San Jose ends up scoring what three goals on that power play, wins the game, and eliminates Vegas. Uh, all I could think was, oh my god, Vegas is fucked again. Um, I think they're really lucky that Vancouver looked like absolute trash on that entire power play. Um, but the thing is, when, when and, and last year too, I remember all the Vegas fans barking about how, oh wow, we just got hosed on a call. And like, granted, yes, that was a terrible call that ended up basically eliminating them from the playoffs last year. But when you blow a 3-1 to series lead like they did this year, you put yourself at the mercy of a bad call or something like that. And so my answer to that is just, win before it gets to game seven if <laughs> if you really response. if you really want to complain about it that much how about win game five or six and then right. you don't have to worry I about love, it so i love that um yeah i i completely agree with both of you uh harry i thought you were spot on with you know what you were talking about the hit and especially your point about you know a suspension in the playoffs versus the regular season like i feel like a one game suspension in the playoffs is equivalent to like a three to five in the regular season. You have to yeah. scale it down so much. Uh, you know, I know they were talking on the broadcast, and you mentioned this. You know, Pierre was like psychoanalyzing the angle <laughs> to which Reeves' nameplate hit Mott in the jaw, and I'm like, okay, well, like, why are we, you know, debating this? I thought the penalty call was correct. You know, to a T. You know. Yeah. And I feel like it would have been worse if they had given him just, like, five, and then he had come back later in the game. But, like, five, ten, and done, I think, was the right thing to do there. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I agree with the one-game suspension. I wasn't one of those people who was going, oh, it should have been two or three. But, um, you know what, it happened, it's over with, and move on. You know, I think Mott's okay. I haven't seen anything to say against that. And, Mac, back to your point, I mean, you know, Vancouver had five minutes to score, and... I don't know if you guys noticed this. I mean, Vancouver's first power play unit, pretty solid. 
Vancouver's second power play unit is like what happens when you do Chell franchise mode, like the expansion mode, and you have to like assemble, you know, sort of a team of guys that are like an 81 to 79 rating. And that, <laughs> that to me is what that second power play unit looks like. Yeah. Yeah, that's rough. You got guys like uh, like Garnett Hathaway on your power play or some shit like that. Yeah, it's just like you know Tyler Myers is the defenseman you have out on your power play. <laughs> You're like, ugh. <laughs> that's a that's a better example for sure. Yeah. Uh, moving on down the list, uh, Minnesota Wild defenseman Matt Dumba has been awarded the King Clancy Award for his anti-racism and community outreach efforts. Uh, we spoke a little bit earlier, uh, you know, as hockey was coming back as to when these awards were sort of coming out. Uh, the following awards are going to be announced over the next few days. Today, Monday the 7th, we are expecting the Bill Masterton Memorial Trophy to be announced. That's sort of for the player that exemplifies perseverance. So we have Stephen Johns, Oscar Lindblom, and Bobby Ryan. I think Lindblom's going to get that one, especially with coming back and playing um, you know, through a Game 7 in the playoffs. I think that's a no-brainer at this point. Uh, on Tuesday, we're expecting the Willie O'Ree Community Hero Award. On Wednesday, we're going to get the Jack Adams for Best Coach. Something tells me Alain Vigneault will not get that because I thought a lot of his challenges in the series were horrible. Uh, on the 10th, on Thursday, we are expecting the Selkie Trophy, so, a, you know, a.k.a. the Patrice Bergeron Award. And on the 11th, we are expecting the Lady Bing Trophy, the 12th, the Jim Gregory General Manager of the Year, and on the 13th, Sunday, we are getting the Marc Messier NHL Leadership Award. So those are set to come over the next week. Uh, The last little bit of news we have is that some family members of NHL players have joined the bubble in Edmonton. Uh, This is where it sort of gets a little weird. Family members who are Canadian citizens and are currently in Canada are able to join the bubble, although they must self-isolate at home for seven days and produce three negative COVID-19 tests before traveling. Then they must quarantine in a separate hotel room in the bubble and produce four more negative tests before they can interact with the players. And that's just the people that are already in Canada and are Canadian citizens. So we haven't even gotten into, you know, American players or, you know, European players. So I I think this is just going to be a mess. Uh, yeah, it seems a little messed up over there, eh? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we've given our opinions on this before, but it, it kind of seems like a low reward, high risk type of thing. I mean, I understand wanting to see your family, and you know, should you make it to the finals, celebrating with your 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 wife, your kids, whatever. So, um, I get it. It it just doesn't seem like it's worth it because God forbid they have an outbreak because. You know, someone who had to take seven COVID tests to just see their, you know, loved ones uh, ends up somehow spreading it. Who knows? Freak accidents happen. Um, that would be really bad. And it, I feel like we've kind of taken how smoothly things have gone for granted so far, right? I, I, I mean, there hasn't really been any doubt in my mind in the last five weeks where you'd be like, oh shit! Like, I hope I hope there's no outbreak, right? When when the Marlins outbreak happened in baseball right before they're about to play the Orioles everybody freaked out about everything and I think the NHL has done an incredible job of you know how they've handled this so far 
So I don't really expect anything to be different. It just seems like a lot to go through for a conference final. I think this, if this was a Stanley Cup final, it would maybe make a little more sense. I completely agree. I mean, we I feel like when that whole Marlins thing with the MLB was happening, we were like, you know, this is how you don't do it, and the NHL is what's doing it right. And I think baseball did a horrible job at the beginning of, you know, thinking that they could, you know, still go city to city and do this kind of thing. But, um, no, I completely agree. We've sort of, you know, gotten away from, you know, is one team going to, you know, contract it, and then is the team they're playing going to have that problem as well? So, um, I understand their concern with letting people, you know, especially you know, letting people attend, especially when you're crossing borders and stuff. That's always a mess. So um, I know it does suck for the players. So I do feel bad. Yeah, um, I think you guys are spot on. Um, don't have much to add on this front. Um, but I guess the one thing I would say that's somewhat related is now that they're all in Edmonton, right, all four teams are there. Um, for the rest of this thing. I do think it'll be interesting to see if there's any, um, just any adjustment at all for uh, the East teams coming over um, and being in a slightly different atmosphere now. You know, obviously um, it it can't be that different, but um, I do wonder tonight if we'll see any any sort of kinks being ironed out for the Islanders and the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. For sure. Uh, Moving on, we had a trade. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something. Yeah. Um, Moving on, we had a trade. Uh, To St. Louis goes a 2023 round pick, a 2027th round pick, and back to Montreal goes a 2022 seventh round pick and goaltender Jake Allen. So this one confused me a little bit because now Montreal has $15 million allocated towards goaltenders which is no small number. And I think it's got a lot of people wondering if, you know, they intend on keeping Allen, if this is just let's get him and flip him to someone else where we can, you know, try and bring in, you know, a couple depth guys or maybe, you know, some uh, a third-line scorer or something like that. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on this? I'm interested to hear. So I, I'll start on this one. I initially was pretty confused about it as well, a bit of a head-scratcher, until I kind of took a closer look and um, looked at some numbers, and you know what, I actually really like this move for Montreal, and here's why. I think that if you look back over the past um, five years or so, um, the, the the, the goalies that Montreal has had to turn to for backup um, you know, in back-to-back situations or for P- Carey Price injury situations has not fared super well for them. Uh, they've kind of had um, a parade of different guys coming through over the last few seasons. Guys like Mike Condon, I think a little while ago, there was like Tokarski. Um, there's a Peter whole bunch Budai. of... Yeah, exactly. There's a whole bunch of just kind of random guys that have had to um, suit up in net for the Habs, and I think they kind of realized that they're not a good enough team to 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 still be able to win games with somebody who is less than stellar in that. I think they kind of realized that to give themselves a fair chance, they need somebody that can get it done in that every single time that they're playing. And so being able to turn to someone like Jake Allen uh, instead of somebody like Mike Condon 
or Budai or Tokarski or whoever they were turning to, I think that's actually going to help them out quite a bit, especially we saw they're not necessarily a team that scores a ton of goals every night, but um, if they can get a lead, they can definitely protect it with somebody like Carey Price and Nett. Um, and I think having Jake Allen as that backup is going to help them out a lot. So I like this move for them. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little confused because Carey Price is 33, right? So he's got, what, three years, four years of like upper level to dominant goaltending left? I mean, look, I I was not of the opinion that he was still a top five goaltender kind of coming into the playoffs, but... Clearly, as I've mentioned, I got cucked. So it's okay. I will admit, he's still really good. But the Montreal Canadiens are not good enough to win a Stanley Cup. They're good enough to fuck the Pittsburgh Penguins' you know, postseason plans up, but they're not going to make a run at the Stanley Cup in the next three years. I hate to break it to you. So to me, this move almost is like them trying to take another crack at making a playoff run, which I understand that's that's your job, but you also need to understand when it's time to rebuild. I think this trade, call me crazy, but I bet you Price is barking, barking at management because he's tired of getting played dead. And if, if I tried to name you one backup goaltender on their roster that I just looked up, you would not know one name. So this is a great move for Montreal as far as trying to make a competitive team on a night-to-night basis. Which, again, I understand is the objective, and I think this playoff run is going to make them start taking that mindset a little more. But I still don't think that they're a team who could contend, and I am just not really understanding why they're giving up picks because they kind of need them more than a lot of teams right now. So I get it. just doesn't really uh, – I don't think that they're going in the right direction. So you said – you nailed this, and I feel like this trade – is you know presenting us with a lot of questions i always nail it nick yeah i I know um (laughs) this is i'm not saying that i think this is what's happening but let's get paranoid for a second and let's let our minds wander carry price is 33 montreal is not going to make a cup run in the next three years right oh i already like this that you bring in jake allen who can who can sort of, you know, get by, right? You know, he's not horrible. I mean, he is kind of horrible, but he's not, like, the worst. Um, the hair on my neck is standing up now. Keep going. Are the Montreal Canadiens going to say, let's go fire sale, let's trade Carey Price, and try and get, you know, a first or some blue chip prospect and just start this rebuild and try and get to the playoffs or try and go deep? I don't know. I'm just asking. Dude, why wouldn't you? Look, everybody is freaking out over the noise they made in the playoffs. They get they beat the Penguins. They they kind of ruffled Philly's feathers a little bit, but they're not a cup contending team. Why? They're not good. No, they're not. Why wouldn't you just go full on fire sale mode and get a haul? Like, do you not want to win? You literally could have gotten the first round pick, but instead you decided to lose in the technical like first round in six games i mean what's the point of that it, it, it doesn't make any sense from you know and like investing in the future it just doesn't i don't get it this is kind of like a middle ground move for them i, I guess you guys are right you make a good point of how they kind of need to pick a lane here um it does seem like the move that they made is them kind of saying that they think they can uh potentially make a run in the next couple of years um but 
I don't know. I'm kind of with you guys. I, I might beg to differ on that one. I, I liked a lot of what I saw from from some young guys on the team for sure, but uh, you know, it's I don't think it's enough. However, um, I I do think what we're about to move on to uh, might actually concern Montreal more than some of you guys might think. But I'll let Nick take that segue, and then I'll. Uh, I'll talk about that. And just before we move on real quick, this would not be the first time that Montreal has moved their sort of golden prospect goaltender. Uh, You know, we saw it with Patrick Waugh. And then, I mean, people forget, but Jose Theodore, not only did he win the Hart Trophy, but he did win the Vesna when he was in Montreal. So um, it's not crazy, but it's probably a little bit crazy. Um, Moving on, we have some injury news. Tampa Bay Lightning captain Steven Stamkos will not be available for the conference finals. Uh, Although, you know, in lieu with that, Nikita Kucherov is expected to play in game one, which is tonight, September 7th. Uh, Not much else to say there. I know we've speculated on whether or not Stamkos was going to be back, and it's just clear that, you know, something serious is going on. So, I mean, I want to see him back because... I think he's a great player, and I would like to see them be at full strength. But um, Mac, Mac, why you got that shitting grin on your face? <laughs> uh, that would be because I am fully aboard the Isles bandwagon, and I want them to win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> For a second, I thought you were going to say that Tampa's going to win the Cup, and they're going to trade Stamkos to Montreal. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I when I was looking at the agenda, I, I jumped one. It's actually the next thing that we're going to talk about that concerns Montreal more. Gotcha. So, on that note, we move on to rumor has it, and rumor has it that Max Domi is out in Montreal. And I'm not saying that it's like official now, but I've heard rumblings, and you know. We saw that he removed Montreal from his social media pages like Twitter, Instagram. Um, he fired his agent, who apparently is buddy-buddy with the uh, burger van, and then, um, you know, hired a new one. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like Max Domi was not utilized at all in Montreal. We saw he had that great season um, that he debuted with. I think it was Arizona. And, you know, we saw this going back to when he was in London. I feel like he's – everyone thinks of Max Domi as a pest, but I think he's so much better when he has, you know, offensive potential and room to do that. And whether that's, you know, being like a third-line guy on like a conference finals caliber team – or a second line guy on a team that's trying to get out of the first or second round, I think he's going to do a lot better. So I don't know. All the rumors were saying he was coming to pit before we got captain that I'll leave it at that. I don't think that's going to happen now because none of the assets that we have are going to fit what Montreal's going for. Um, I don't know why I, I, I see him in a, I see him in a Rangers uniform. They got all the cap in the world right now. They're on the up and up. Got a lot of young guys. I could see that being a real good fit for him. So call me crazy on this one, but if Montreal really thinks that they can make a run at this in the next couple of years, which potentially that might be what they're thinking with that Jake Allen move, if they want to actually pick a lane here and go full balls to the wall, why not go for a guy like Johnny Goudreau and move Max Domi for him? I feel like that's Whoa. some I feel like that's somebody that Calgary 
would want. I feel like Max Domi fits that team perfectly. I'm sold. And, and Johnny Gaudreau is somebody that if, if they brought him to Montreal, suddenly, hey, maybe we can make a run at this in the next three years. So, Nick, I want you to save this time space that Mac just took up on this episode. <laughs> and then in the next, let's say, five months when this comes to fruition, this podcast broke the news. And if anyone else tries to say differently... Go screw yourself. I love it. <laughs> Mac, that, that makes all the sense in the world. I'm on board. I'm sold. So my thought process, I, Mac, I really like that. And let's not forget that Domi and um, Matt Kachuk both came out of Dale Hunter's London Knight system. I think they missed each other by a year because Kachuk only spent one year there. But... Uh, what I was thinking, I, I was mowing the lawn earlier today, you know, and I had this nightmare coming through my brain. Max Domi's a pest, but he can score. As a Caps fan, what is the worst possible team aside from the Penguins that he could end up on? And in my opinion, that's the Carolina Hurricanes. Oh, shit. I see Max Domi for Vinny Trocek going back to Montreal in exchange, and I think there's like a couple other pieces in there, whether it's like a pick or another guy or something, I don't know. I feel like Carolina would love his chippiness. And like, you know, Trocek's kind of being underutilized in Carolina, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Montreal could really use a second-line center, and I mm-hmm. think Vinny Trocek's that perfect guy. Fuck, I'm sold on that, too. That's oh. not a bad idea at all, yeah. That, that could be it, too. I'm sold on all of this. The thing is, I don't know. I'd have to look at Trocek's contract, but I know uh, Goudreau is still um, in Calgary for another two years, I believe. Um, But, I mean, that's not to say they couldn't move him, you know. We'll see. So we got what? Rangers, Hurricanes, and um, Flames? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Please let it be the Flames. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, get him, just get, get him out of uh, – I don't want him in the Metro. <laughs> exactly. Get him out of the East. Uh, so I think that wraps it up for Rumor Mill. Uh, let's wrap up the series that have now finally concluded. So obviously in the East we have Tampa beating Boston in five. That's old news. But the Islanders, they prevailed in Game 7. Uh, this was the last Game 7 to be played. That was Saturday night. Uh, Thomas Grice posts a shutout in Game 7, and the Islanders win 4-zip. I was a little bit surprised when I saw Grice was named the starter, but that clearly I don't know shit. So uh, what did you guys think about this game as a, as a whole? That's exactly how I felt, too. As, so, as soon as I saw Grice skating out there, I was like actually kind of shocked. Um, but, I mean, clearly what the fuck do I know because you know, it worked well, so I don't know. I never had a doubt. I I I was riding the Islanders all series. I was putting a lot of picks on them. Game six, they fucked it up. I lost my mortgage. You all know this. I apologize to everyone who lost money that day. But I did take them for game seven, and it paid off. And I, I the Islanders, you just can't doubt them. Like you know what you're getting every night. There's not gonna, nothing's gonna change. They're the same team every night. And it's working. And people are really underestimating them. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're scrappy. They're they're led by an excellent coach who I know Washington misses dearly right now. So you can't really bet against a team where you know exactly how they're going to play and exactly what they're going to do 
every single night. This isn't the Caps. This isn't the Penguins where you're expecting your star players to put up two points every time they're on a power play. And then they, you know, lay an egg because they want to play like Russian roulette with their power play entry. This isn't that team. This is a team who's going to get it deep. They're going to beat you in the face. And they're going to get in front of the net and score scrappy goals every night. And for that reason, they're the best bet that you can make on a nightly basis right now. I think someone on this podcast picked Islanders in seven. Do you guys know who that was? Uh, this is rhyme name with Dick. This guy. <laughs> nice. I had Isles in six, but they blew yeah. it. So, uh, Moving over to the West, uh, Vegas beats Vancouver in seven. I thought one of the better stories of the second round, if not the best, was Thatcher Demko absolutely standing on his head for basically two and a half games. Uh, in game seven, he stood on his head for 55 minutes until that Shea Theodore shot went right over his shoulder. I don't think he ever saw it. Um, in that game, Vegas, Vegas outshot Vancouver 36-14. to 14. I think at one point in the third period, Vancouver had like seven shots on net. Um, it was just so one-sided, and Demko was just making unbelievable saves. Um, so Vegas ultimately gets it done. Uh, they survived that you know five-minute man advantage that Vancouver had. I think it's no secret that Vegas was the better team in the series, and Vancouver just somehow hung around. And, I mean, they really did hang around for 55 minutes, but um, what were your guys' thoughts on that Game 7? Did you watch it? Did you enjoy it? I watched it. I enjoyed it. I just felt bad for Thatcher Demko, man. He he played out of his mind for the second game in a row, and he had absolutely no help. The Canucks looked like shit in that game, honestly. Like, they, they had nothing going they had barely any quality scoring chances except like one or two nice like rushes that they got kind of on a lucky bounce or two and uh when those rushes happened uh Robin Lehner was able to bail them out and so um yeah they really didn't they didn't do much in that game seven at all yeah I mean I'll try and keep it short and sweet because even though this series went seven I don't think there's really much to it Vegas was the better team and they won that's number one. Number two, Quinn Hughes needs to learn how to shoot the puck on the power play because if he's constantly facilitating, it's just it's not optimal for their power play. There was way too many chances where he had open lanes to get a puck through and he was just dishing it off to the half wall, and that's not going to get a cut, right? Especially in a game seven where anything any bounce can help you. And then my third one is uh, Thatcher Demko played really well. I think he kind of opened a lot of eyes, and I was seeing some shit on Canucks Twitter that – who knows? I mean, I don't know Markstrom's contract situation, but we follow one of the reporters on the EB account, and they were saying Markstrom might not be there going forward. Who knows? I mean, Demko really proved himself, so um, he deserved the dub, but Robin Lehner had the easiest 18 safe shutout of his life. So that's kind of how that went. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I feel like it's fitting that Max wearing a, a BC sweatshirt. You know, Demko was a legend at BC, and I mean, you know, you saw in the handshake line him and Tuck, who both went there, um, were hugging each other. I think, you know, if you're Vancouver, you found your new starting goaltender. In my opinion, it's not a question going forward. But um, like you said, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Markstrom going uh, into the next season. Uh, I remember. I remember, too, one more thing quick. Uh, Demko was an absolute legend in, like, the World Juniors for USA. Um, I'm pretty sure he's from, like, San Diego or some something yeah, kind of he weird is. like that. But, um, yeah, he, he obviously went to BC, and I remember the name well because he played out of his mind um, a couple years back as the USA goalie for World Juniors. Yeah, and they were – I think that was a year where they didn't really have – 
a great team, you know, they usually put together a pretty damn good team. USA Hockey has come a long way, but mm-hmm. I remember him carrying the load for them for a, for a long time. Absolutely. I was looking at the stats the other day, and he had something like, I don't know, he played like six or seven games in the tournament, and uh, he had like a, it was like a high nine uh, save percentage, and the goals against was like one something, um, and he had a shutout in those games too, so. Yeah, and he's only 24. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, he's got a lot of room to grow too. Uh, moving on to the Gong Show, I think is the best way to describe this series. Uh, Dallas ends up beating Colorado in seven. Uh, that game seven was just crazy back and forth scoring the entire time. Um, Dallas ultimately gets it done in overtime. McKinnon's amazing point streak comes to an end. And Joel Kivaranta, who played only 11 regular season games, and up until that point prior to that game seven, Two other playoff games records a hat trick, including the game tying goal and the overtime winning goal. I, this was just insane to watch. That game was absolutely nuts. I think uh, I think this game, the Flyers Islanders game six, and the infamous five overtime game between Columbus and Tampa are definitely the top games of the playoffs so far. Uh, I, I, I've never seen momentum swing as quick as it did in that game. It seemed like any time one team scored, the other team tied it up within 10 seconds. And I'd be lying if I was saying that I wasn't rooting for Colorado heavy. I think they're a much more entertaining team to watch. And I think they're better for the league from a marking perspective uh, to advance. That being said, I do show a lot of respect for Dallas because they've got some, some seasoned vets on there who deserve a good run. And... You know, spoiler alert, they won game one against Vegas, so things are looking good for them right now. But uh, it was just a great game, and Pierre was creaming himself every other play, so that kind of made, <laughs> not to get too graphic there, but <laughs> kind of made things a little more interesting. So, um, yeah, anytime. I think it was Kenny Albert on the commentary, and anytime Pierre goes, Ah, oh, Kenny, let me tell you. And Kenny's just, I, like, I can just imagine his face is probably like, Jesus, fuck, dude, like, enough is enough. <laughs> He's like, hey, yeah. hey, hey, Pierre, are you taping your boner up or down, dude? Like, come on. <laughs> dude, the the Kenny, let me tell you, is almost as infamous as the uh, as Mike Sullivan talking to Pierre and going, okay, Pierre. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we need a T-shirt saying, let me tell you, Kenny, and it's got Pierre's bowling head on the back (laughs) oh my god that's great um no yeah i thought this was there's no question that game seven was uh one of the most entertaining games of the uh playoffs so far i didn't get to watch most of it live i was at work um but i saw overtime i saw the tail end of the third and then i ended up watching the uh complete game like later that night as a rerun um but yeah, super entertaining. I will say I agree with what Harrison said about Colorado being, um, you know, the more entertaining team. I think initially early on in the playoffs, I was kind of pulling for Colorado on the West. I think they're a really cool team, really fun team to watch play hockey. However, um, after the injuries to Grubauer and Franzos and obviously Eric Johnson, Um, I kind of thought that, you know, I I was watching that game seven overtime and I just kept thinking, man, if Colorado scores this goal and advances, what a waste. Like, I I don't think they have any gas left in the tank. Like, yeah, they're one goal away from moving on right now. 
But if they move on, like, I feel like they're going to get smoked by Vegas. And so, uh, you know, that compared with the fact that I also had a bet on the Stars to win the series, I was was pulling pretty hard for the Stars. And I'm glad they got it done because I actually think they can give Vegas hell. And, um, you know, game one certainly showed that they might be able to do that. So, For sure. I think, you know, watching that game... I was obviously, I was sort of like waiting for Mac to wake up and get two. I was like, you know, it's coming. He's all over the place. I thought he played great throughout the entire game. Um, Berkey scored again in game seven, which is just something that I think they, they had a stat that was like in games facing elimination. He's got like eight goals in his career, which is ridiculous. He's money. Yeah. Um, and which, you know, is just so typical of a Caps player who goes somewhere else and continues right. to have success. But um, <laughs> like watching the game tying goal and the game winning goal in overtime is some of the worst defense I've ever seen a hockey team play. It's like stuff they teach you in peewees. Like when a guy's behind the net, one, he can't score from there, so don't chase him. Two, if there's four guys watching the puck, that's not good. Like, and if you're able, like, on the overtime winner, if you're able to make a seam pass like that and have a guy who's parked that close to your goaltender for a tap-in, I don't know. It's just, it was a defensive breakdown on both of those. Absolutely, yeah. They, that's a good point. They were all on that uh, overtime winner. They were all facing uh, the guy behind the net. And um, uh, I think it was Nazem Kadri that was kind of in the slot, and he was, like, the closest one to... Uh, to stopping Kiviranta, but like that in and of itself is a problem. Like what the hell is Kadri doing there? And why is he the one that almost saves the, like it should, you know, like that, that's not a good sign. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, oh, well, you know, I I thought McKinnon was phenomenal, you know, throughout the entire series. Uh, Obviously the Avs had injury problems. Landis Cog didn't play in game seven. Uh, Grubauer, a number one starting goaltender at this point in this league, did not play. Uh, you know, Francois had problems, and they had to go with Hutchinson. And then the Eric Johnson injury hurt them a lot more than I think people realize. But, uh, you know, I think ultimately this is a team that's going to be a force in the league going forward. They are going to be the – they are the team to beat for the next five years. And it's – it's. I don't really think it's that close, especially with the deal that McKinnon's on right now. And if the Taylor Hall rumors come to fruition, then look out. And if there's in, this is a huge what if, but you know I understand injuries are part of the game, but I'm it, it's pretty hard to win a, a, a second round series with your third string goaltender. I mean that's yeah. that's tough. So, and that's what I'm saying. If they had advanced, like I just feel like that would have been such a waste. Like they, I'd almost rather them just take the off season, go ahead and reboot, get ready for next season. You're gonna be a force for the next few years. Like why waste all the energy? Like there's no way they were going to be able to go all the way at this point. For sure. Uh, moving on on that note, we're going to do our obituaries for the four teams that were eliminated this past week. So let's start with the Boston Bruins. Uh, Harry, you want to go first? Yeah, I'm going to say this was the last dance, but it didn't end the way that Jordan's last dance ended. Um, wow. It, it, it just kind of feels like that was the last good run. I am hearing that the odds that Tory Krug is able to stay and take a discount are is very low. So, you know, you're talking about one of their top four D men leaving. 
Who knows if Char is going to be back? Uh, he keeps saying that if he does come back, it's only going to be with Boston and nobody else. So that kind of tells me he's teeter tottering between retirement or not. Bergeron's getting older. Krejcic is getting older. You know, Krejcic even said, I think I mentioned this on the last episode, perhaps, but he even said himself that their window's closing and they got not a lot of time left. So to me, it was the last dance that was not a dance. I also kind of felt like I don't know. I felt like they didn't really I guess this is kind of unfair to say but like from the moment Rask left I just kind of felt like the team wasn't like a team you know like it did kind of feel like a a, a lot of individual efforts going on on a nightly basis like it, it kind of felt like they weren't always on the same page um obviously you know credit to Tampa Bay they're they're a great team but I still think as good as Boston is you got to win more than one game in that series for sure. I, I'm going to say just bad defense is the way I'm going to remember this team. I mean, you know, they their forwards sort of hung in there for a little bit, but defensively I thought they were atrocious in in those games against Tampa Bay. And um, my dad and I were talking about this by the pool yesterday. I mean, this was a team that walked everyone in the regular season. And, and I, when I say everyone, like including Tampa, I mean, they were well ahead of them in the Atlantic standings. So, um you know, I don't know if it's you, you can put that on the pause. I personally put that on the fact that they were one game away from winning the cup last year with an aging core and then the off season, a short off season, coming back, you know, playing hard minutes and then having the pause and then this. I don't know. I just think it was too much for them. And Harry, I completely agree with you. I mean, there's no reason you should ever not agree with me. So. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, um, moving on to the Philadelphia Flyers. How are you guys going to remember them? This was Carter Hart's coming out party. Uh, you know, it seemed like they had all the all the right tools in place to make a really deep run and probably even get it done. I think I told you guys on the episode where we were giving our predictions at the start of the playoffs, I had Vegas and Philly. I really thought they were going to get it done. Um Kevin Hayes is a really, really good player, and I think we all knew that, but maybe we didn't know he was this good. And he's definitely the type of guy where he you want him on your team in the playoffs just because of his play style, the way he plays defensively. He's gritty, he's got skill, but I'll remember this mostly for uh, Carter Hart's coming out party and dueling Carey Price. I'm going to say one positive thing and one negative thing positive it's gonna echo harrison kevin hayes man this guy is low-key one of the most valuable players in the nhl to have on your team like i'm not saying he's one of the most skilled necessarily but just overall everything he brings to the table his size his physicality his goal scoring he is one of the most valuable players to have on your team in the league and you can quote me on that and uh negative alain vigneault man he kind of fucked them a little bit in a few different situations like i know the challenging was rough but like i don't know man i don't like the pulling your goalie with seven minutes left thing i think it's fucking stupid yeah like i mean like what if you get a good bounce i second that yeah i I second the shit out of that the fuck are you doing you got seven minutes left in the game that basically says i've given up so yeah, it's like, eh, fuck it. If we're going to do it, let's just do it now. Otherwise, I'm tired. Let's go home. Like, that's exactly. the attitude I see. Like, it's dumb. I don't want to, like, copy both of you, but if I could pick one player to just add to the caps right now, I'd have a hard time picking against Kevin Hayes. He's so sick. 
Like, I mean, it, obviously, if you take away, you know, like McDavid, McKinnon, like, you know, players like that, and I could pick someone, you know, from sort of the rest of the league, I think I would take Kevin Hayes. I mean, he was phenomenal in this series. Unbelievable two-way player. Um, Mac, you pretty much nailed it. Harry, you nailed it. I, I feel like I'm going to remember this team as just being, you know, a, another team that fell victim to the Islanders. And we saw them, you know, have sort of this meteoric rise throughout the year. And then they ran into this Islanders team that just sucks the life out of you, and their stars didn't show up. So I'm just going to say the next of the Islanders' victims was how I'm going to remember this team. Yeah, also Claude Giroux who? Where the fuck was he, man? Stinks. He had one goal and one assist in the whole series. Yeah. So, um, yeah, scumbag Philly fans take that with, you know, what you should do with your captain. Uh, Moving on to the Vancouver Canucks. What do you guys got? They were fun. They were a fun yeah. team to watch. I uh, I did not give them enough credit. I thought after that game one against Vegas where they got the doors blown off of them, I was like, okay, they're going to get swept or like maybe win a game. But, hey, they, they came to play. They, uh, I mean, look, we all predicted they were going to lose to the Wild in the qualifiers, put it that way. Like we really did not give this team enough credit from the start. And um, they were a lot of fun to watch i'd say the one thing i'll probably remember the most is uh demco just because it's fresh in my mind but um i think there's more to it than that uh there's definitely a team that i think much like colorado we're gonna see this team in the playoffs a lot in the coming years um yeah i think they have a bright future for me it's uh quinn hughes coming out party i i I mean, we all knew he was good, so it's not really a coming-out party, but to put up the numbers he did in the postseason, uh, it's pretty impressive, especially for being a rookie. And, you know, I think we're starting to see just across the league this this era of young defensemen that are just insane and incredibly skilled. Between Kale McCarr, Miro Haskinen, and Quinn Hughes, I mean, the Western Conference has got some serious defensive uh, talent over there. So, for me, I, I, I really like the way he played, and... Uh, I think it is just a show of what's to come in the future years. I'm going to remember them as the team that I think is going to be great in the next five years. You know, Canucks fans, you're trending up right now. I mean, this team looks like it could be a playoff team, like a deep run playoff team in a year or two, in my opinion. I, I don't necessarily, I think this was a little bit too early for them. I think they have a lot of depth problems they need to sort out. Obviously we, you know, roasted their second power play unit a little bit earlier. So, um, you know, none of us thought they were going to make it by Minnesota. Um, and then, you know, I think after a little bit of watching them, I was like, there's just something about this team. I mean, they've got Toffoli, they've got, you know, Bo Horvat looked incredible. He was leading all forwards in scoring, um, JT goals Miller. wise. Yeah. JT Miller. I mean, these guys look great. I mean, they're decent playoff hockey players. And I think in the next couple of years, we're going to see them be a perennial Stanley cup playoff contender. Uh, and lastly, the Colorado Avalanche. How are you guys going to remember them? If you don't say Nathan McKinnon, you're just lying to yourself. That was one of the best playoff runs that you're ever going to see. Um, fuck, I forgot what the stat was, but he was the first player in, since Wayne Gretzky to get, what, 25 points in however many games? Um Man, I really fucked that up. That was going to sound so good if I would have known the number. It was like 14 games or something. Yeah, it's just an incredible display. So uh, 
you can't not say Nathan McKinnon. I mean, he really was what stood out. So, yeah, I mean, definitely McKinnon. He looked amazing. That's about as good of a performance as you're possibly going to get from your superstar player. And you know, if not for the injuries, I think we might still be watching Colorado Avalanche hockey right now. But um, it's unfortunate. Like we said before, they're obviously going to have a bright near future. So you know, it's not the end of the world. Um, just to say something a little different um, than what Harrison said, and this is also um, definitely just because I'm an absolute Caps homer and anybody that is a former former Capitals player, I'm always going to kind of be keeping an eye on them on whatever team they're on next. But Andre Burakovsky, man, he impressed me so much. It's clear that this guy, he seems really comfortable there. I, I think at times... With the Caps, he, he kind of struggled to find his role with so many other superstars in front of him. And, you know, you kind of didn't know what you were going to get on a nightly basis from Berkey um, when he was a Capital. Sometimes he just wouldn't play there. I think also we even healthy scratched him a couple times down, down the road just because we really didn't trust him that much. But um, it's very clear that on a night-in, night-out basis, Berkey is here to play for the Avs. So that's pretty cool. For sure. I completely agree. Um, I would like to say rest in peace and goodbye to my future pick. Um, I put this pick back in October of 2019. It lasted 11 months. Uh, So you know what? It hung in there for a long time and Max sort of, you know, McKinnon really held it up there for me. But um, ultimately, my pick is Colorado Avalanche to win the Stanley Cup did not come true this year, but I'm honestly okay with the way that it ended. So it is what it is, and I, I thought McKinnon had an unbelievable run, and I think that sort of solidified what Harrison and I said about him last week. Guess whose future pick from the very first episode is still alive? Whose? This guy's. Which one was that? I had Vegas versus Caps. That's true. Now, I did place a futures bet on the Leafs halfway through the year because when they fired Babcock, I thought, okay, now they're going to get serious. That didn't happen. And at the start of the playoffs, I changed my East pick from the Caps to the Flyers. So, uh, but from the start of the year, that is what I said. So nice. Yeah. Um. So without further ado, I think it's time we jump in and dissect these conference finals matchups. Let's start in the East. We have the number two Tampa Bay Lightning versus the number six New York Islanders. Uh, how they got here? New York has beaten Florida in the qualifiers, Washington, and then Philadelphia. It is their first conference finals appearance since 1993 after they upset Mario Lemieux and the Pittsburgh Penguins who were on their way to a three-peat. Tampa Bay has beaten Columbus and Boston to get here. Game one is tonight, September 7th at 8 p.m. The Islanders lead the season series 2-1. Nikita Kucherov is expected to play. Stamkos is done for the whole series, as we mentioned. In your opinion, what are your... I want to hear initial thoughts on the series, and then I also want to hear, if you're the Islanders, who are you starting in net in Game 1? Before we go farther, it's worth noting that right now, before Game 1, Islanders to win the series are plus 160, and the Lightning to win the series are minus 190. Uh, I will be entertaining the Islanders at plus 160. I will also be entertaining the Islanders uh, in Game 1 itself tonight. I'll get those odds for you guys in a second here. Um, Nick, back to your original point. Who am I starting to net? Um, probably you got to go with Varley, right? I mean, do you disagree? 
I would go with Varley. The only thing is I'm a big believer in, in any scenario, no matter who it is, if you put a goalie in net and he posts a shutout, he's playing the next game. I don't hate that theory. I, I actually don't hate that theory. So I'm going to agree by with that you logic. Mark. I'd go Grice. Yeah, I would go Grice tonight. Well, I, I, have they announced the starting goalies? I haven't looked. It's yet. It's got to be coming up here soon. I mean, we're less than three hours from puck drop at this point, or about probably exactly three hours from puck drop at this point. But um, I would also say to your point about the odds, I woke up this morning and put a little bit of cash on not only the Islanders to win the series, but. Uh, also, the Islanders to win the Cup only because they're both super good odds right now. Like you are gonna make a lot of money even if you put just like twenty bucks on either of those things right now. And I mostly made sure I did it this morning because I think they're gonna win Game One today, and I don't want those those prices to to drop down. So um, that's not to say I necessarily necessarily think they're going to win the Cup. I just think that it's possible, and you can't count them out. And so might as well. Wow. Dean, if you're listening, get your hands out of your pants. That's a no-no. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, we went from being the most anti-Islanders podcast to now I think we're all – I mean, I'd be lying if I said I'm not kind of rooting for them a little bit. It's it's weird fun. though, right? Because I, I don't like rooting for – it's like I'm rooting for another team in the Metro. Like what the fuck is wrong with me? But it's hard to like not – it's it's hard to not want them to win. I mean, you know, they are the underdog left out of these four teams. So um, I'm really hoping they get this one done. Uh, keys to winning, in my opinion, Tampa needs to boost their depth scoring. Obviously, Palat has been lights out for them. He had, what, like goals in four straight leading up to them being Boston. Um, but I think even below that, I mean, maybe guys like Yanni Gord, Cedric Paquette looking to get, you know, on the score sheet a little bit more. Um, and then the Islanders, in my opinion, just continue with their um, five-on-five shutdown play. I mean, they are the most formidable team to play five-on-five. They are sort of like that Herb Brooks 1980 Miracle on Ice mentality where he's like, you know, Barry Trotz is saying, I don't need you to be the best player on the ice tonight, but I need you to go out there and sort of shut down their best player and not let them do what they want to do. And we're going to win games one to nothing, two to nothing, just stuff like that. Yeah, I would I would agree with you, uh, Mac. Check your phone. Um, <laughs> uh, what was I gonna say? Yeah, I I think the Islanders have a lot of strengths going for them right now. Like you mentioned, their five on five play has been absolutely suffocating thus far in the playoffs. Uh, and their third period play, they're outscoring teams since the return from the pandemic, twenty two to seven in the third period. I also think that Nick, I think we touched on this a little earlier in the uh, in the year, but they were leading the league in empty net go- or uh, goals with the goalie pulled. Like where they were losing by one, they'd pull the goalie, and then the Islanders would score. Don't quote me on that. I just remember we had talked about that right before the shutdown. It was them and the Caps that had yeah. the yeah that had the most. So this has been a trend going for them all year. And to be honest with you, I think people keep talking about their defense, their defense, their defense. Well, guess what, folks? The Islanders are the highest scoring team remaining in the playoffs, averaging 3.38 goals per game. And that's a significant upgrade from what they were doing in the regular season, where they were only averaging 2.78, which ranked 22nd in the league. So everybody keeps talking about how good the Islanders are defensively, but they're going to get it done offensively as well. And I think it's a very underrated part of their team. 
And then the big battle is going to be with special teams because whoever wins this department, I think, is going to ice the cake with the series. So both teams have pretty much identical numbers on the power play. Islanders have a 17% power play in 16 games played, and Tampa's at 17.1% power play in 13 games. And the penalty kill is no different. Uh, New York is at 82.2% on the PK, and Tampa's at 81.3%. So uh, it, the games are pretty damn like close. The teams, I mean, not games. So it's a lot closer than people think. I can't remember if I've already said this already, but the Islanders are plus 130 tonight on the money line for game one, and I will be taking that as well. This might not be up in time for you guys to listen and take that pick, but we'll publish something. I'll maybe post something. So um, I like the Islanders. I, I think the Islanders are going to get it done in seven, and I think it's their time. I, I just It all feels too right. I think this is this might be the first series that we're all sort of in agreement on one, the length of the series and two, who's going to win. I'm, I'm also taking the Islanders in seven. Uh, I just, there's something about this team where, I mean, you look at their resume, like when I said how they got here, they knocked out Florida. Okay. That was a qualifier matchup. You know, let's say that was their easy one. They go up against the caps who I know they laid an egg, but that's no slouch of a hockey team right there. I know they played like it, but on paper, them and Tampa are the two toughest teams they're going to play against. And then they knock out one of the hottest goalies and hottest teams in the league in Carter Hart and Philly. There's just something about this team where they can, you know, they're David and they're just knocking Goliath off one at a time. Will the Islanders be the first team in NHL history to win 19 games on their way to winning the cup instead of only 16? That would be kind of insane. The fact that they're the only qualifier team left that might be able to pull that off. Um, but yeah, also I think, I'm definitely taking Islanders in seven. Um, I I bet, or not bet against, but as far as predictions go, I, I did not take the Islanders in either of the first two series. I think I've learned my lesson. Um, these guys cannot be taken lightly. I also think it's worth noting that uh, Barry Trotz knows how to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning in the conference final. Yes, he does. Can confirm. Well, shit. Yeah, so all three of us are in agreement then, Islanders in seven. Anyways, bouncing over to the other matchup in the Western Conference, we have the number one seed Vegas Golden Knights and the number three seed Dallas Stars. Uh, How they got here, Dallas has beaten Calgary and Colorado, and Vegas has beaten Chicago and Vancouver. Uh, Game one was last night. Uh, Doby, Anton Hudobin, posted a 25-save shutout, and John Klingberg scored the only goal as the Stars won one to zip. What did you guys think of this game? Did you catch most of it? So I, this is, this is weird. I I actually did not catch the majority of that game and being that it was a one, nothing game, 25 shots a piece. I'm not really, you know, felt felt like I didn't miss much, but I, you know, I watched the highlights. I watched the recap. Um, It looked like Doby definitely had to make some, some decent saves. I don't think he was tested tremendously, Um, but what's interesting, what's most interesting to me about this series is Back to how Dallas got here. Yeah, they beat Calgary and they beat Colorado, but look at how many times this Dallas team was pushed to the brink and and looked like they were done. You go back to the Calgary series, um, and they were minutes away, less than two minutes away from being down 3-1 to one against Calgary. Um, they score a goal to tie the game, and then it's not it, it's 
called back for goalie interference, and then they score again to actually tie the game. Joe Pavelski with like a second left or whatever it was. They win in overtime, and all of a sudden the series is tied 2-2 two to two when they were that close to going down 3-1. to one. And I think if they go down 3-1 to one to Calgary, they probably don't win that series. You fast forward to the second round against Colorado. Obviously, they were fortunate to get a couple of Colorado crucial injuries. Um, but, I mean, even again, they were down, what, there was three minutes left when when Colorado scored in Game 7, and you're like, well, shit, Dallas is probably done now again. And, nope, ten seconds later, Kiviranta, like, scores from that impossible angle. Like, what are the fucking odds that these guys just keep hanging around? And I can't tell if it's just luck or if it really is, like, them stepping up when it matters most and just coming through, you know? And so that's kind of what I'm looking for in this series. I don't know if it's luck or if it's pure skill and, and coming through when it matters most. And so I think it'll definitely be interesting to watch more of this Western Conference Final. I think Vegas is the ultimate test for them. Um, I also want to add that I think a Dallas and uh, New York Islander Cup Final would be super interesting, the way that both of these teams are built around their defense. Um, It might not be the most exciting uh, Conference Final to watch, necessarily. I'm sure the NHL would be like, well, fuck me, it's Long Island and Dallas. (laughs) But um, honestly, I'm pulling for it. I think it'd be really cool. I think it is worth noting that even though the Stars are up in the series 1-0, they are still underdogs to win. So the Stars right now are plus 110 to win the series while they're up 1-0. Vegas is minus 130. Vegas is heavy favorites to win game two. So keep that in mind going forward. Um, What do I think of this series? It's hard. So before last night when the Stars went up 1-0, I'm still on Vegas. I still think Vegas will win in seven. um, Despite them being down 1-0, I think they are the better team. I think they are the deeper team. Um... I think they got a few tricks up their sleeve that some people aren't th- talking about. Shea Theodore has evolved as one of the best young defensemen in the league. I think his name is going to start getting some recognition. Um, I had said this like two years ago to one of one of my friends, and I said, you know, this kid Shea Theodore in Vegas after the expansion draft. I said, he's going to be really good. He's like, why? No, I've never heard of this guy, whatever, whatever. I said, no, he's a puck-moving guy. He can do well, blah, blah. Well, he's eating, eating on his own words right now because I'm looking pretty damn good with that pick. Um and, you know, I think goaltending, I, I think we're going to see both goalies for both teams play eventually. I just have that feeling. I don't think Kadobin's going to take all seven games. I do, because I said it's going to go all seven games. I think we'll see Flurry. I think we'll see Laner. I just read that Bishop is labeled as unfit to play in game two. So I don't know what that means going forward, but that, that literally just happened on Twitter. Christ, what the fuck, man? <laughs> and who's their um, third string? It's like uh, Ettinger, right, or Ottinger, or whoever the fuck. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and it. I don't know. This series is kind of weird to me. I think the key for Vegas is they got to have the big gun show up, which they did against Vancouver, but they didn't last night in Game One. Pacioretty, uh, Carlson, Marsha Show, and Stone. That's really the four that I'm uh, referencing. And for those of you who haven't seen, I'll have to retweet this on the account, but there's a Mark Stone clip that is about three and a half minutes long that I can't remember who retweeted it, but I'll find it on the timeline. And it is three and a half minutes of him against Vancouver picking guys' pockets and just dumping the puck on the penalty kill. It is absurd. It's one of the most 
interesting and dominant clips that you can watch because it's not just all offense. It's just him literally stick lifting and poke checking everything in sight, which is very refreshing to see as opposed to McDavid highlights all over the place. Um, and the other thing I think that is going to have to happen is Alex Tuck is going to have to keep up the pace that he's on right now for this playoffs. Right now he's got eight goals in 16 games played so far, and he only had eight goals through the entire regular season. So I think it kind of speaks volumes as to the uh, upgrade that he's experienced in his play so far. And for Dallas, I think they're going to have to have their power play click. So they've got the most power play goals in the NHL remaining of the four teams. They've scored 15 prior to entering the series last night. That's getting them at a 28.3% power play percentage. So... I think that's the key for them. The Stars are going to have to win it in special teams, and Vegas is going to have to win it 5-on-5 five five with the big big guns. And I think goaltending, we're going to see the depth come out. So I still got Vegas in 7. I'm going to go Stars in 7. Uh, this is the one where I'm going to differentiate from you guys on. But I, there's just something about this Stars defense and then the depth scoring that Dallas has been able to get. Uh, I, I just think there's something about this team where, you know, I know Colorado was injury-plagued, and, you know, I know Calgary wasn't – you know, you can call them a slouch, but I think Calgary played good at times. So I, I just think there's something about this Dallas team. Doby looks great. You know, he doesn't look like a backup right now. And in fact, I think if Bishop came back, I don't even know if he would get the crease over him. And uh, I just think there's something about this team. I think that the Stars get this one done in seven. But I honestly would not be shocked if they got it done in a game or two earlier. Ooh, okay. Yeah, so, I think I initially said... Vegas and seven or Vegas and six. I think Vegas will win in seven, but Nick, I really hope you're right. I would love to see the stars win. Yeah. And I don't mind that pick at all. And I think, you know, let's, let's say for, let's say I'm right in a crazy delusional world where that happens once in a million years. Uh, and we get a, you know, Dallas, New York Islander Stanley cup final. It's going to remind me of like those cup finals from like 2001, where you're winning games, one zip, two zip, two to one. And that's it. Like it is going to be a, you know, knock down, drag them out defensive battle. And, you know, I think that would be a nice change of pace. I agree. Throwback to the Urbe and Hashik days. <laughs> oh yeah. God, Urbe's pads looked like, like when kids like duct tape pillows to themselves to play roller hockey and then just have them get like soaked in the rain and then just keep using them over and over. And over. <laughs> they look disgusting. That's so true. Wow. Yeah. His pillows uh, looked like your pillowcase after like a night that you black out and it was raining outside and you wake up yeah. and like, well, man, these got to go in the wash. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, do you guys want to pick Con Smythe winners, or should we wait? If you if you if you had to pick a Con Smythe winner from each team, I would say should we wait for the finals for that? I don't know what do you think. Let's just do it now. Um, so let's go with the Islanders. If you had to pick one right now, who would it be? No explanation. I'd say just names. I'm going Barzil. Barzil. Beauvillier. If it had to be from the Lightning, who would it be? Braden Point. Don't wait, wait, wait! Don't do this one yet. Oh, too late. <laughs> okay, whatever. No, we'll, we'll. I got Vasilevsky, but we'll, we'll. You'll realize why I said that later in the show. Fair enough. Braden. Braden Point. Okay. Um, if it had to be from the Vegas Golden Knights, who would it be? Mark Stone. <sighs> yeah, Mark Stone. Maybe Robin Lehner, though. I don't know. I don't think you're far off with Shea Theodore. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. 
Okay. Um, and then Dallas. If you had to be like pick one from Dallas, who would it be? Miro. Miro. Hands down, Haskinen. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, let's move on. And the last thing we're going to do is our Magic 8-Ball for the week. So using our list of Magic 8-Ball phrases, we're going to respond to these statements. So the first one is, the 2021 NHL season will begin in January. Mac, what does your Magic 8-Ball say? We'll begin in January. Mm, I'm going to go with don't count on it. That's a good one. Uh, I'm going to say cannot predict now. Yeah, I'm going to say reply hazy, try again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The 2021 NHL season will will be shorter than 82 games. I'm going to say as I see it, yes. Signs point to yes. I was also going to say signs point to yes. Uh, next one is Ben Bishop will remain the backup for the Dallas Stars. Better not tell you now. Oh. As I see it, yes. I'm going to say you may rely on it. Uh, the New York Islanders will beat the Tampa Bay Lightning and advance to the Stanley Cup final. It is decidedly so. Ooh. I'm going to regret this one, without a doubt. Oh. Oh! I am going to say yes, definitely. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury will remain the starter for the Vegas Golden Knights. Reply, Hazy, try again. (laughs) (laughs) Outlook not so good. Yeah. Concentrate and ask again. <laughs> the Avalanche will be the 2021 Cup favorites prior to the start of next season. Signs point to yes. Cannot predict now. Most likely. Uh, should the Tampa Bay Lightning win the Stanley Cup, Vassy will be the Con Smythe winner. Most likely. You may rely on it. I'm going to say my sources say no. Ooh, okay. Um, and I think that's all we have for this episode. Uh, I think this is going to be a great week coming up with some conference final matchups. I know it, it's it's sort of like a, a bittersweet moment as we move on in each series because that means there's less and less hockey games going on at the mm-hmm. same time. But uh, I'm really excited for some of these matchups. I think in particular um, the Islanders-Tampa series is one that I'm going to tune in for. Yeah, it does suck that now there's only one game each day. That's kind of a bummer. Also, one final note about Vasilevsky. By the way, he's really the only goalie this entire playoffs that has played. I think he's played every single game for the Lightning. And, like, almost every team has had to rely on a backup or even a third string at some point in this playoffs. That's exactly why I think if they win it, he's going to be the cunt smite. Yeah, the more I think about it, you're right. I mean, yeah. You're right. Everyone else has been rocking that like two goalie system. So, and Tampa's the only one that hasn't. So, and that's tough because there's back to backs and and there's all kinds of unpredictable stuff with people being unfit to play. And Vassy's been there every night. So, does anyone know who's Tampa? Like who Tampa's backup is? I th- oh man, isn't it? Um, I think it's I Curtis McElhinney. Oh, I, I think is it's it? McElhinney. Yeah. I don't know 
Hmm. Oh well. Check check daily face off and I'll tell you. But yeah, I mean, where was McElhaney before that? He was Hurricanes, um, I think. Toronto and Columbus, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Wasn't he on the Canes last year, or am I wrong? Say that again. Wasn't Curtis McElhaney on the Hurricanes last year? I think you might be right, and you are right. It is he is the backup. So. Yeah, I'm I'm confirming this now. He was on the Hurricanes last year. I think he might have even played like a game in that series against the Caps last year. Okay. That would make sense. Yeah. I think we're good. All yeah, right, guys. I think that about wraps it up. Well, that was fun. Um, be on the lookout for some picks here going forward. We also have some merch up on the store. Go check that out to support the pod. We'll be probably having some new merch going up as the series get uh, going, so be on the lookout for that. And I'm not even going to ask if there's any final notes because Mac just gave his. So without <laughs> further ado, class dismissed. Sleeping with that